This episode of Fearless Rebel Radio is brought to you by You On Fire. You On Fire is the amazing 12-week online group coaching program that I run where we build up your worth from the ground up so that it's no longer hinging on the way that you look. It's got personalized coaching from me and incredible community support plus lifetime access. Get details on what's included in this program and sign up to be notified when doors open for the next cycle by going to summerinandin.com forward slash you on fire. I would love to have you in that program and in that group. This is Fearless Rebel Radio, a podcast about body positivity, self-worth, anti-dieting, and feminism. I am your host, Summer Inanin, a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, self-worth, and confidence, and the best-selling author of Body Image Remix. If you're ready to break free of societal standards and stop living behind the number on your scale, then you have come to the right place. Welcome to the show. This is episode 173, and I am interviewing Sharin Eskandani, life coach, public speaker, and writer over at Wholehearted Coaching. We talk about how to find your purpose beyond dieting and appearance, how you can find what truly brings you fulfillment, and how to overcome the fears that get in the way of pursuing more purpose and joy in your life. You can find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode at summerinandin.com forward slash 173. I want to give a shout out to Globo who left this awesome review. I've just started being interested in making peace with my body and food and seeing diet culture for what it really is. It's a lot to unravel. I'm so glad I found Summer. Summer's style is very positive and upbeat and I believe her. She knows her stuff. Also, she has a very pleasing voice and that's a plus. I'm enjoying learning from Summer and really like the series she's got on now. Thank you, Summer. Thank you so much, Globo. And that would be the body image series that ran back in February, March of this year episodes. Ooh, I don't know the numbers. Oh, I think it's like 158 to 163. Somewhere in there in that range is the body image series. That's that's what um, this person is referring to. And thank you so much. I'm so critical of my own voice. So it's nice to know that somebody else finds it pleasing. And I would love it if you left a review. It would help others to find the show. It's not just for my own validation. Trust me. <laughs> I really tried to detach from that. It's to help uh, It's to help it in the rankings. It's to help others find the show. Keeps this on the air. Helps me potentially get some sponsors because there's not a lot of sponsors for this podcast. And it's all kind of uh, coming out of my pocket to keep this on the air. And anyways, yeah, leaving a review helps others to really find the information. That's the most important thing. And you can do that by going to iTunes, searching for Fearless Rebel Radio, click ratings and reviews and click to leave a review or give it a rating and also subscribe to the show. That really helps too. Um, you can subscribe via whatever podcast platform you use. And if you haven't already done so, definitely get the free 10 day body confidence makeover at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies with 10 steps to take right now to feel better in your body. I am so excited about today's guest. I have been following Sharin. I have been a huge fan for a couple years now, maybe even longer than that. 
Sharin's handle on social media is wholehearted coaching. And I just like every post that she has speaks to my soul. And she's just one of those people that you read her posts and you just feel loved and cared for and positive and like someone who truly understands you. And uh, yeah, just for my own personal development, I love following uh, Sharin and, and for others, I highly recommend it. She's got a way with words that just truly, truly speaks to me. So She's been someone I've wanted to have on the show for a while. I finally reached out and here is the interview and we're talking about some really important stuff today. So you've probably heard me talk about self-worth before and one of the big components of that is is really, you know, knowing who we are and knowing our purpose beyond dieting and appearance because we've really been conditioned to think that our purpose in life is to be desirable. It's to receive validation from others. And when we detach from that, it can be a little scary. We're like, who am I? What is my purpose? And it can feel like this daunting thing. And Sharin breaks it down and makes it so easy to understand and figure out and connect to. And that's what we're talking about today. So how to find your purpose outside of you know dieting and appearance, how to find things that fulfill you and how to make those changes. So when we start to talk about making those changes, a lot of fears come up, fear of failure, self-doubt, all of the voice of the voices of our voices of fear and our inner critic. And so we talk about how to overcome those as well. There's so much good stuff in this episode. Let's get started. Sharin is a life coach, public speaker, and writer who specializes in mindfulness and mindset work. She has been a featured wellness expert on the Today Show, Shape, and Cosmopolitan magazine. Prior to building her successful coaching business, she was an award-winning opera singer performing at Carnegie Hall and the Metropolitan Opera. Certified by the International Coach Coaches Federation, Sharin's holistic approach to transformation is influenced by her background in meditation, spirituality, and the arts. An inspiring and dynamic speaker, Sharin has presented at Alt Summit, Ignite Women Summit, Well Summit, Heal House, and the Assemblage. Hope I said that right. She is the co-founder of the Glow Up and Brown Girl Brunch and hosts two podcasts, Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast, and Two Girls Talking Shit. You're going to love this episode. Let's get started. Hi, Sharon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Summer. I'm so incredibly excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here. And I'm really excited that I just found out that you're originally from Canada. That's awesome. I I am. I'm a Canadian that has been living in the U.S. for 15 years, which sounds way too long. Literally, I came here for like grad school and I was going to stay a year and I was going to come back to, you know, Canada and then life had other plans. Yeah. Yeah. Because you you're... You are you an opera singer now, or were you like do you consider yourself still an opera singer, or, or were you an opera singer? It's one like I feel like once a singer, always a singer. Yeah, um, and true. <laughs> especially right now though with COVID, um, it's a little weird because I, I, I would say now my life, my life is eighty percent coaching and twenty percent singing. So I had gigs here and there. Like I worked for the companies I really liked working with or pieces of music I really wanted to sing. But because right now with COVID, all of that's shut down. So right now I'm just a hundred percent coach. Um, but yeah, my, the reason why I moved to New York city was to pursue uh, a career in opera. And I was singing professionally 10 plus years and, and it brought me to coaching in the end, but yes, uh, once a singer, always a singer. That's so summer. cool. That's so cool. <laughs> what a, what a, what an interesting story you have. And so speaking of that, uh, I'd love you to just, you know, kind of talk about your story a bit and, you know, what was your relationship with, with your body and, and like how you felt about yourself when you were growing up? Like, were you always this super confident 
radiant, vibrant human being that you are? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, I think I've always been very bubbly and joyful. Um, but maybe, you know, and maybe a lot of listeners can, can identify with this, but it, it wasn't from a place of full acceptance. You know, if anyone ever saw me, they'd be like, wow, she's just always so happy. She's so friendly. She must have so much confidence. But um, because of, I think, a lot of um, my identity uh, issues, which some of it was like physical, so it was cultural, whatever that was, that confidence piece wasn't always there because I couldn't fully accept myself. And that was the work I did later on. But my story um, is that I, I was born in Iran. I'm Iranian. And my family immigrated to Canada, to Vancouver, Canada, which is where you live, the best city on earth, <laughs> Thank um, you. When, when I was four years old. And I was always um, a larger child. And we, in, in the Iranian community, it's one of those cultures where, you know, larger bodies are stigmatized. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, that's the same with a lot of like pretty much every culture. But it was just one of those things where, you know, it, and it's also a culture where it's well-meaning. But it, it, let's say, for instance, like I would be, you know, we go to Iran every three or four years. It's one of those things where when you go back, people say, oh, wow, you've put on weight, you know. <laughs> and so and, and, and you'll try to go find clothes or any like there was just no such thing as anything that was above maybe a size eight or 10 in Iran in a place like Iran, because that's just how the society is. Either you're going to conform to this or you're going to have to like go get your own clothes or go figure it out yourself. So the Iranian culture, my, my household wasn't like that, but the greater culture, like my aunts and my uncles and my grandparents. Right. And then of course I moved to Vancouver and Vancouver is, you know, the origin of Lululemon. And so that very, um, quote unquote, I'm going to say uh, stereotype yoga body was what I was very much surrounded by as a young girl and young woman. And here I am with these beautiful curves, with this beautiful curly hair, with this skin that was, you know, melanated and, and gorgeous, but I did not look like anyone around me as an immigrant, right? But also as someone in a larger body. And so I think for me, what ended up happening was um, for many reasons, I just ended up overcompensating. So I became like that kid who always got straight A's, 100%. I was in every club and every activity. And and I think that's one of the things that brought me to singing. Like I, I was singing since, since I was six. So thank, thank God for that. But I definitely know that a lot of my overachieving, my perfectionism stems from that place of never fully feeling like, I was accepted or I was acceptable within the spaces because here I am in Vancouver in Canada where I'm like, I don't look like any of these people. And then I would go back home to Iran every three or four years or even with my Iranian community in Vancouver. And I was like, wait a second, I don't belong here either because of my my body size. And so really for me, um, it wasn't until I moved to New York to do grad school here to become an op- like, you know a professional opera singer it was the first time I ever thought to myself, oh my gosh, I think I'm beautiful because I was in a a city where there was such a diversity of looks and beauty and styles and identity. And you could see how all of those things were represented and beautiful. And so it wasn't really until about 15 years ago that I think I fully owned who I am, what I look like, what my body is and how it changes and transforms and all of those things. But, but it was, it was a, it was a struggle to figure all that out. 
Yeah, it's amazing how, well, I mean, I don't know if it's the word, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but like, the, you know, cultural influences are so powerful. And so it's amazing how you just moving to a new place where there's a lot more diversity and acceptance of, you know, different uh, people and cultures and things like that can have such a big difference on, on how you feel and like feeling like you belong and you having permission to be yourself. Yeah, a hundred percent. And also, I mean, when I'm, I'm thinking about it right now, uh, when I was growing up, there was like clothing above 12 just wasn't a thing. And I, I remember we would drive down to Ballast Fair, which was in Bellingham, Washington. And they had an old Navy there when I was like, you know, 12 or 13, because that was the only place that I could find clothes for myself. And so you know, just that, that, that as a kid, you start thinking, oh, well, there, there's something wrong with me, obviously, because I can't find clothing for me. I can't find fashionable clothing for me, you know, in, in, in access, accessible places. And so also when I moved to New York, all of a sudden there was clothes I could wear. There were, you know, things that, that were, I think clothing is a sense of self-expression. And if we're not allowed to play with that side of our identity, it's like, you're not being able to be like a 360 degree version of yourself. Um, so yeah, that the, the culture and the, the environment you're in really does influence um, your confidence and, and, and that level of feeling of acceptance. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And, uh, you know, speaking of, you know, like your, you know, your, your body and things like that, you did a post recently that said, maybe reach a point where the sentence simply can be, she gained weight period with no judgment or disclaimers. So, you know, what, what else kind of helped you get to that point? Cause I mean, that's an amazing point to be, to just be like, I gained weight and that's it. No emotional attachment. Yeah. It's really interesting because as a coach, a lot of the work that I do is around mindset work, right? That the thoughts that we think really affect how we feel in life and affect how we move in life and the actions we take. And I've been able to apply mindset work to so many things. Like I, I, my business is thriving because of it. My relationship is thriving because of it. And a couple of years ago, I was like, I don't want to do this work when it comes to my weight. And I know why I don't want to do it because I have this fear that if I actually am at peace with what I weigh, I will gain weight. And you know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's what really mindset work is. It's allowing you to be really accepting of what is here now. And I think what I really realized is that a lot of the motivation for me to alter my body came not from a place of self-acceptance, but from a place of you, this is not okay. You need to change. And so really it's been, um, it's a journey. And I think for everyone, they'll know that, that this work when it comes to our bodies is a continual practice because of the ingrained beliefs and conditioned beliefs that have been spewed at us, not from our, not just from our families, but society, it's, it's very hard to get away from it. But, you know, I have, what was very interesting was I lost just a, a significant amount of weight about 10, 15 years ago. And then I met my husband at my lowest weight. And it was about four years ago when we met and we got married, like within a year, we just were, I love that man so much. And in the year that we got married, I gained weight. And I was having this conversation with a friend and I was like, isn't it interesting how, when we talk about this idea of gaining weight, it's always like I gain weight, but my, my, you know, my life has been such a mess because I can't get my, you know, shit together because Oh, it's just been so hard. But I was like, wait a second, I gained weight because I'm in the most happiest moment in my life, nurturing and cultivating this relationship with my husband. 
And all of a sudden that was like the light bulb that I needed that I was like, wait, wait a second. Like (laughs) weight gain is, is not indicative of you fucking up in your life. It can be indicative of priorities shifting, of enjoying life even more, of letting go of things that really aren't serving you anymore. And so that was my big light bulb moment because if I was like, if I can't see this happiest year of my life as the happiest year of my life, and instead I could either see it as the happiest moment of my life or see it as the year that I gained, you know, X amount of pounds. I get to choose which one I'm going to see that year as, and I'm sure as hell not going to pick the second one. So how can I do the work where I'm not picking that second one? So it's, it's a constant practice. Yes. And that's a, that like that reframe is so hard to do because it's the complete opposite of what we, of the way we've been conditioned to think, like to think like weight gain as a positive outcome of, of, you know, changes in your life instead of negative, but it can be so true in a lot of cases. Yeah. It can be so many, so many different things. You know, I, I work with, so I work with women, um, predominantly and, and I just find that we're doing all these amazing things. Like, you know, someone will be like, yeah, this year I I launched my business. I had my first six figure year. And then they'll be like, and I gained X amount of weight. And you just see like every success that they had just get discredited (laughs) because, because it's this conditioned belief that our weight, our so-called appearance, uh, that's the most important thing. And I think that is the insidious thing about it all. Right. Because, you know, when it comes to especially social media, we're seeing pictures, pictures of people. And we don't know, maybe they're, maybe they're having a six figure year, but then we see the weight gain and we're like, Oh, well, I guess she's having a tough year. And it's like, it's like, no, maybe she's just doing other things with her life. And so, yeah, it's, it's a hard one to, to untangle. Yeah, it is. Okay. So yeah. And one of, so one of the things I really want to talk to you about today is, is, you know, finding our purpose. So like, you know, we've kind of talked about like how our, you know, our body size can sort of take over like all these accomplishments and things that we've done with, with our life, you know, like we focus more on that than like the things actually going on. But I feel like it's so important to like find our purpose and anchor ourselves in that in order to, in order to sort of, you know, see our value outside of our body and have purpose beyond just like losing weight, which is what our culture has told us to do. So you talk a lot about finding your purpose, our purpose. And I think for a lot of us, like we just assume that's in our career, but you describe it differently. So from your perspective, what does it mean to have a purpose? So for me, purpose is so I'm going to explain it the, the way that I came to this work, because again, I always thought that purpose is something that's out of outside of yourself. Like it's your career, it's your relationships. And when I was singing, you know, I pursued, I thought I was pursuing my purpose, which is to sing. Right. And then when I decided about, you know, five, six years ago, um, that I didn't want to be singing full time anymore. And I wanted to start coaching. I really had this like existential crisis. Cause I was like, what, like, what is my purpose now? Like, I feel like, like a millennial stereotype, like jumping from one thing to the next, like these are not connected. And 
I think we do ourselves a really big disservice when we put our purpose outside of us. I think that we are all living our purpose every day. And it's those things that really make us inspired and come alive and feel ignited. And we're doing it all the time. You know, we're, I feel like our jobs can be an expression of our purpose. You know, our relationships can be a vehicle for a purpose, but they're not our purpose in and of itself. And so when I started doing this work, I, I realized when we put this pressure of purpose on like a job or a person, it's like the same thing as saying, oh, well, my sense of love is in this relationship or my sense of worth is in my body, right? These are changing things. They're things that are not constant. They're things that, that will kind of disappear and change at some point in our lives. And so if we're putting that kind of pressure on something like our jobs, especially right now with COVID where a lot of people's jobs are kind of tenuous or they've lost them, you know, you already are dealing with the pain of not having your job, but also you're like, well, what's my purpose? And so for me, the work I do with clients is let's find all the things in your life that make you come alive and let's find the common thread. And that is your purpose. Whatever that common thread is, that's your purpose. And to me, um, my purpose is to connect and transform people through joy. And I do that at the grocery store. I do that with my clients. I do that with my husband. And so when we can see our purpose like that, we, we realize that we're doing it all the time and we're already in our purpose. I don't think we need to find it. I just think we need to name it and claim it. That's what I always say when it comes to purpose. Mm, that's so good. I love the way that you look at it. That's awesome. And like, I, I know you use the word North Star quite a bit. What What's, what's your North star? My North star is myself. I think that's like, I think, um, that's the work I do with, with, um, with clients is I do this work I call inner compass work. And I think that all of us have this perfect compass within us, the compass that knows what is best for us. But so often we're using a compass that's not ours. It's a compass that's, you know, our families or it's fear or it's society's compass. It's full of shoulds and supposed tos. And when we, we can really realign that compass to come back to where we are our own North star making decisions and doing things that feel best for us. That's when life starts to really feel not just look fulfilling. Cause I think a lot of us have very outside, you know, looking fulfilling lives, but they don't feel fulfilling. And that's because we're making decisions that aren't for us. And so really that when I say your North star is you, it's, it's following that intuition that I know we all have, but it's about being able to listen to it and trust it again, which I think that's one of the common threads I've seen with the, the women I work with is that, you know, they know what they want, but they don't trust it because it's asking them to do some scary things sometimes. And so that's what kind of reclaiming your North star is all about. Okay. And so I have so many questions from that. So <laughs> allow me to gather my thoughts here for a second, but I'm curious to know, cause I feel like for some people, this is, it feels kind of overwhelming to even, you know, kind of connect with your purpose because for a lot of us, like it's been our job or it's been, you know, like mothering or parenting or even like, you know, our bodies, like a lot of people listening to this podcast, the purpose, their purpose has been like trying to shrink my body. So what are some ways that we can start to connect with our purpose. If we have, like, if we really have no idea, if we're kind of sitting here thinking like, Oh my God, well, what if I don't have a purpose? Where do I even start? Everyone has a purpose. I, I swear if someone's listening, they're like, I'm pretty sure I don't have it. And I, you have a purpose. 
I would say sit down and start writing down all of the things that really make you feel excited and inspired. And if there aren't things right now in your life, look at your past. What were the things then? What were the things that really made you excited? Who were you with? What were you doing? What are the topics that really make you like, you know, that like really good, like rabbit holes you go down on, on YouTube or Google, like the good ones, not the ones where you're like Googling, you know, I don't know, Tiger King at two in the morning, but, um, but find those things and really see, ask yourself, why does this resonate with me so much? And then you will find that there are common threads. There's common themes and elements and then see how, how you're already doing those things in your life. I mean, it's a little bit, it can become a very, you can overthink it a lot. Um, but really it just comes down to what makes me come alive, what makes me come excited, excited in life. And then what is the common denominator here? What is the, what are the common themes here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like you, you sort of encourage people to connect with it every day. Cause you mentioned for yourself, like even at the grocery store, you're, you know, bringing joy to other people. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, like, it's like gratitude. You know, we know this, we understand this idea of gratitude where if we don't actually say what we're grateful for, it doesn't have the same emotional and spiritual and physical effects, right? Like we know, oh, when I write a gratitude list, it makes me feel better. It's the same thing when it comes with our purpose. If you do not name and point out, oh, that was me living in my purpose, then we're miss like we're not getting those beautiful acknowledging effects, right? Physically and spiritually and emotionally. It's the same thing. And so I really do this with my clients all the time. I'm like, you need to start recognizing these things in your life because they are happening. They're happening all the time, but you're just overlooking it, right? Again, that's the difference between having a fulfilling life from the outside and feeling fulfilled, right? And so um, I, 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 that's just something I think we all need to start really doing is, is seeing and acknowledging the beauty in our lives when it comes to purpose and gratitude and joy, all of that stuff, whatever feels most important to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, like we don't give ourselves permission to, to acknowledge it you know, like we're, we're so busy kind of doubting ourselves or, or really being wrapped up in that voice of fear that, or even finding it too vulnerable to, to connect with that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big shift if you've always sort of looked at things from that perspective of like your inner critic, so to speak. You mentioned self trust being like a big factor here and like following, you know, following your intuition. So again, kind of coming back to someone who's maybe like, I don't know how to follow my intuition. Like, what does that even, you know, what does that look like? Because they've always just really kind of been, you know, thinking like more like thinking people like over analyzing things versus feeling or always sort of following somebody else's roles and cultural expectations versus their own, you know, their own heart and their own voice. What are some ways that we can start to like connect with that intuitive voice? This is such a great question. Um, and it's the, the crux and, uh, the work I do, the foundational work that I do, because I think that, you know, once we start to actually trust ourselves again, that's when we start to make decisions that really feel good to us and our lives start really reflecting what we truly want, not not what others want. And one of the very first exercises I do um, in a lot of my workshops and with clients is this exercise called I knew better. And the phrase I knew better is one that I think we say so often, but if we really look at that phrase, I knew better, it implies that you had knowledge. 
you knew something was for you or not meant for you, and you actively chose to not listen to it. That was your intuition. That was your inner wisdom, your gut, whatever you want to call it. But that was like that inner source of wisdom that you have that knows you and your life the best, right? And with the I Knew Better exercise, it's like, how did your intuition or your knowledge communicate with you? Figure that out. What talked you out of it, right? We talked about the inner critic. There's so many factors that talk us out of it. And then ultimately, what was the cost of not listening to it, right? And so often, it's like we we try to escape from kind of the temporary or the, the, the immediate discomfort of listening to our intuition, right? Because oftentimes our intuition is asking us to do things where we may let other people down. We may be going against the grain. We may be doing something that just makes no sense to us and others, right? And so we say no to it. We don't listen to it, but then we end up suffering for it later on, right? I knew better. I knew better. And so really it's, it's getting clear on how does that voice talk to me and what are the parts of me that try to talk me out of it and really kind of tending to those wounds and healing those parts of you that really feel scared about trusting yourself. And again, when it comes to self-trust, just like any relationship, it has to be slow. It has to be patient and deliberate. And so with clients, I always say like, take it easy, you know, use your intuition for really low stake, you know, decisions, you know, maybe take a different walk route, route if you're on your walk, you know, or maybe just go with your gut when it comes to like, you open up the fridge and it's like the first thing your gut tells you to do, eat it, what happens, you know? So it's, it's small and slow and deliberate, but then you really start to trust it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is those little things, right? Like I was going to say, I was going to mention food because like, um, a lot of the the things we talk about here is revolves around like intuitive eating and, um, and it's an easy place to play with that, I think, because there's not a lot of, you know, negative outcomes other than like, Oh, I didn't enjoy that. Or, Oh, I wish I'd had something different. So it is a good place to start because there's just so much coming, so much wisdom coming from our body around like the foods that we want to eat and the nourishment that we, that we desire. A hundred percent. I, and I love that because it's really about being, um, like I always say, like be a detective in your own life, like, right. Using curiosity to be like, Oh, okay. When I did this, this happened and not judging ourselves, but just really using that as data of, and the more data we have around things, the, you know, we can make different decisions later on, but just really taking it slow and being curious in the process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's talk about making changes. Cause I know the idea of making changes in the pursuit of of, you know, more fulfillment in our lives or, you know, more purpose can feel quite overwhelming. You know, what, what's the best way to start and move forward without letting like that overwhelm stop us, especially for people who are kind of like overachievers who sort of think like, okay, I need this master plan. It's going to be perfect. I'm going to follow all these steps. Like how, you know, how can we, how can we just kind of start to make those changes without it, without it feeling so overwhelming? I think for me, cause I'm, I'm definitely one of those people. Um, whenever I have like an amazing idea, I'm like, I'm in it. I'm like, I'm excited. And then I get like that panic of, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Right. And something I've really come to learn about, about this process is one, a lot of the times when we have some sort of goal or we want to change things, we're starting at the end and trying to work our way backwards, right? But if whatever you desire, you've never done, you can't reverse engineer that, right? Like you can't create a map to a place you've never 
never been. And so one, it's just releasing that, like the, the reason why you don't know how is because you've never done this, right? Not because you're not supposed to, but because this is new uncharted territory. And the second thing that I do to kind of help calm me in those moments is to think of some of the things that I have now in my life and how I never could have known the how, you know, like I, I think of how I met my husband and that was just the most beautiful convoluted story of all time. And so I think, okay, the greatest things I have in my life, I had no idea. And the third thing I do is I just really check in with myself and ask, what is the next step? Just step one. I don't need to know steps eight, nine, and 10, but like, what is step one? And step one can be as small as do a Google search, email a friend, you know, look and look at your bank account. That's a big one, but I never want to do it. Um, you know, so (laughs) small things, small things like that are, you know, and I think in this world of self-growth and self-development, you know, we feel like the steps have to be these big, sexy steps, right? I'm going to quit my job and then I'm going to, you know, move across the country. And it's like, actually, no, it's like, maybe you start Googling like properties in Costa Rica. And then, you know, so it's just really, really small things lead to huge change. I, I, I just, I think small is all always. You know, that's a good way of putting it. And so like with that being said, you know, if we start to stray from this path, like which I think a lot of times we can because of fear or doubt or other people's voices in our ear, like how can we kind of anchor ourselves to, you know, to our purpose and finding the things that we want to have more of in our life? So one thing I do always uh, with clients in my in my group programs is is the very first thing we do is we and this is based off of uh, Danielle Laporte's work, who's another Canadian, but she um, she has her you know we look at the feelings. What kind of feelings do you want to be feeling in your life as opposed to goals? Because she has this amazing idea that when we're chasing goals, we're actually chasing feelings, right? Like you think you want to lose ten pounds, but you actually just really want to feel sexy or worthy or whatever that is. Right. And so it's like, okay, let's get clear on how you want to feel in your life. Let's make a commitment for this week where you feel all of those things. And you start creating these small goals that are commit commitments to those things. And if something doesn't feel that way, then it's not meant for you. And I think that feeling check is the most truest barometer for us, right. Of how we're doing and what we're doing, right. If if it doesn't, if joy is not part of the process anymore, or if, you know, if one of your feelings that you want to feel is groundedness or truthfulness, if, if that's not alive anymore, then that's when, you know, you've kind of gone astray, gone off the path that's for you and you can reassess from there. Mm, That's such a good way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean, feelings, are so powerful. And again, it's kind of connecting back with your intuition in a way and, um, and starting to connect with like how things actually make us feel. And the idea of like what might be fulfilling on the outside is not necessarily what feels fulfilling on the inside. Exactly. I think that's the thing that kind of throws us off. I, I, we've all had that experience where we've gotten that exact thing we wanted and we thought we were going to feel, you know, this, you know, happiness that was going to last forever. And it was there maybe for five seconds. And then you're like, oh, well, maybe I'm supposed to do this. And so we're on to the next thing. And so it's really about creating and cultivating how you want to feel 
now and not delaying that, you know, and I think that's something that happens so often in the pursuit of changing our bodies is that we think we can be deserving of whatever it is for you, worthiness or happiness or joy after that change, not realizing we, we are supposed to, and we get to feel all those feelings right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. The idea of like, I'll be happy when, like, I'll be happy when I get that promotion, when I find a partner and all that stuff. And, and it really just holds you back from having any kind of uh, sense of fulfillment because then you're always sort of looking for something external to give it to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, you'd speak about fear and, and self-doubt quite a bit because obviously those are things that really get, get in the way with, with making changes in our lives. What are some of the best ways that we can overcome the voice of fear and, and the voice of self-doubt or work through it, I guess is a better way of putting it. Yeah. Because <laughs> we don't overcome. <laughs> I think that's one of the first things is, uh, yeah, we can never overcome them. Fear, self-doubt, insecurity, they're always going to be part of the process. And I think just accepting that, you know, I think sometimes we think we're one success away from like f- true, whatever fearlessness is, you know, and that's just not the case. Anytime you start to dream differently or bigger or in a new way, the fear and the insecurity and the doubt kind of, you know, they, they, they're there. Um, and I think the biggest thing is, is we so often try to like will our way through it or ignore it, you know, or we listen to it too clear, too much, right? We listen to it and we give up altogether, or we try to just work our way through it. And so what really I've found with, with any of these, right, insecurity, doubt, it's all fear, right? It's all some form of fear is you have to look fear straight in the eye. You have to hear what it has to say. And then you have to question every goddamn word it says. I just, cause in my group program right now, we're actually going through fear. So I'm like, I got all the, the quotes and the facts on fear, but there's this really beautiful Buddhist parable about this young warrior woman who has been like tasked to go to, to battle with fear. And she is like totally overwhelmed. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't think I'm powerful enough to like face fear. And so she, the next day she faces fear and, you know, instead of just charging ahead, she bows down to fear and asks it, how can I defeat you? And fear says to, to her, you know, I, Fear says it's like something along the lines of like, the way that I take you out of your power is that I get, this is a great quote. It's like, I get straight in your face and I yell at you and I take you out of your power. But if you listen to me, but don't take any of my advice, that's how you stay in your power. It's like pretty much just like, you got to listen to me. You have to respect me because I'm here, right? I am here. This is fearful. So it's acknowledging the fear, but it's not listening to what it says because fear will always take you away from what you most desire. And I always say this, it's our, the amount of fear you experience equals the amount you want to do something. So the more you want to do something, the more fear you're going to have. And it's just something you're going to have to navigate and you're going to have to get good at exactly just being with and yeah, not, not allowing it to, I always say, don't allow it to be in the driver's seat. Let's do the work. So fear can like get to the back seat and then finally get in the trunk. Like that's, that's the process. It's still going to be part of the ride, but it's like, you can kind of hear it's mumbles in the back of the car, you know? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. It's one of those things that like it's, 
anytime that we are living our purpose, I feel like fear is going to be there because otherwise it means we're inside of our comfort zone. Like if we're not hearing fear, we're probably inside our comfort zone, which sometimes is comfortable and fine. You got to have some comfort zones, but, but to, to, you know, to seek out more joy in your life, to seek out more fulfillment, a lot of that stuff comes with fear. Exactly. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay. So let's talk about failure then, because I think that that's the other (laughs) side of this, like, or just like a more specific voice of fear, you know, this fear of failure. It's like, well, I, I don't even want to try because I'm like, what if I fail? And that, that notion of failure, like that emotional charge that failure gives us, which I'm sure is just connected to shame or humiliation or embarrassment. Like it's so strong that we don't even do the thing or make a change or say the thing we want to say because we're afraid of it. So like, how do you help your clients or how have you uh, yourself like navigated that fear of failure? Fear of failure is such, such a big one. And I think it's one of the big reasons why a lot of us don't do the things we want to do. And for me, one of the big things has been reframing failure, that failure isn't the thing not happening, but failure is never trying, right? Because if we're not failing, that means we're also not trying. And so trying has to be part of the process. And so the work I do with a lot of my clients is reframing the idea of failure and, you know, seeing failure as, you know, data, you know, that's what scientists call failure. They call them data. Scientists have to literally fail, quote unquote, fail hundreds of thousands of times to find a cure, find, you know, the answer. It's, it's said that like Edison failed a thousand times before he figured out how the light bulb worked. And when a reporter asked him like how he felt about those 999 failures, he said there, it was, they weren't failures. It was 999 steps to get to the light bulb. Right. And so we really have to start seeing kind of our failures as data and knowledge and wisdom. And I think one of the things that really helps us with doing that is to release the judgment and the shame and the blame we have when we do something quote unquote wrong. You know, I think there in Buddhism, we have this idea called the second arrow. So the first arrow is the wound. So the wound of, you know, not getting the promotion, the wound of, you know, maybe not writing um, a stellar report and getting a bad review, the wound of your partner leaving. The second arrow is the wound of judgment and blame and shame and guilt that we put on ourselves when those things happen. So instead of tending to that really hurtful first wound, we make the pain doubly worse by, by not really giving ourselves that, that grace. And so, so really I, I say, I have this like fail better action plan. It's the three F's. So it's the first one is feel the feels. So feel the feelings about feeling like don't suck it up. Don't move on. Allow yourself to be there, feel it and process it. And then two, find the growth. And whenever you find the growth, take your time with that because sometimes we fail and we're like, we try to find the silver lining right away. And I'm like, wait a second, you just went through a terrible loss. Like, don't you want to process that? So take your time, then find the data, find the wisdom. So next time you take the next step, you'll be equipped with more awareness. And then I always tell people fail a lot because that starts to make you realize again, one, it's still going to hurt. Failure always hurts, right? But you start to realize that a lot of the times it's not as bad as you think. And the times it is really bad, you know how to nurture your way, get your way, solve your way out of the failure. And so it's almost like shock aversion therapy. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yes. 
But yeah, it's like failure is going to lead to quote unquote success. And it's a very hard thing to hold those two things, you know, as truths. But the more you try to avoid failure, the more you're going to avoid doing the things you want to be doing. And to me, that's what failure really is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I feel like with failure, like sharing it with other people is really helpful because we all have those moments and it makes you feel so much better when you're not the only one who's, you know, had a bad review or had someone, you know, criticize you for something like, especially as an entrepreneur, I don't know if you find this too, but like, it's so therapeutic to talk about those things with other people because you realize like, oh, I'm not the only one that gets emails from people who are upset about something that I said or, you know, that are telling me that they don't like my marketing or something like that. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. This is a hundred percent true. I think, you know, I do a lot of group coaching programs and this is like, I think group coaching is the greatest type of coaching because to be in community with people who are doing this work and you're like, oh my gosh, like this person has had a similar experience. What? Like you just feel so connected and, and just that, 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 you know, what is it? Like, I know Brene Brown probably says something super smart about this, but it's like something where like shame feeds off being alone or shame feeds off just that, like not sharing, right. When we're not sharing it, it just feeds off of that and it gets even stronger. And then it's like, you have that trusted friend or that trusted community where you can be like, y'all, I just like, you know, I don't know, like lost $2,000 in the stupid investment. Like I, you know, whatever. I'm, listen, I'm not daddy Warbucks over here. I'm not doing that, but, but something like that. And, and people can just be like, oh my gosh, listen, I, I did like this stupid thing and that, and it's like, oh, right. Like this is just part of being human, which is, is doing these things. Right. Yes. Yes, totally. Um, one last thing I want to ask you is just, you know, you, cause you had a really good post recently that said you can't make space for better if you keep holding on to good enough. And I'm curious to know here, like, how can you find the balance between not settling with good enough, but not getting swept up in perfectionism? Ooh, this is such a good question. I think, well, when it comes to good enough, I think that's, that's something that we is so personal, but I think we all know that feeling of I'm settling for this, right? I'm settling for this job, this human, this life, whatever that is. That is something that I think you really need to be honest with yourself and truthful with, with yourself about, right? And and listen, and I say it in this post that if if that's your jam, cool. Like that is okay. I remember, yeah, I once had a coach who was like, I hope this doesn't come across poorly, but she was like, you know, she was like, Sharon, you know, some people love spending their weekends at the mall, at the food court. And they think it's just the best thing ever. And she's like, and some people want to like go on the weekends hiking and see new things. And like, and she's like, you're that second person and stop trying to like be the mall person. Cause you're not the mall person. And so, so I think that's something, first of all, when it comes to the good enoughs is really being honest with yourself. And then when it comes to perfectionism, that's another thing that really holds us back, right? That I'll do this thing when I can do it this way or when it's at this caliber. And so really with perfectionism, what has helped me because I'm a recovering perfectionist is that I've started implementing this idea of B plus work. Mm. And so B plus plus work work is work that allows you to do all the amazing things you want to do in the world, because that's what I realized. I was like, oh my gosh, like 
I want to do this with my business. I want to do this with my husband. I want to do this with my friends. And I was like, but I can't do all of this if I keep holding on to perfect. And so the B plus work has been great because it allows me to do things and to let go at a certain point. Right. You know, if anyone is listening, if you go listen to my podcast, or if you go on my page on my Instagram page, there's like grammar mistakes, there's sound issues on my podcast, but like it doesn't take, I, what I've learned is it doesn't take away the value. You know, none of my clients have come to me and said, wow, the sound was not, it's good. It's, it's B plus sound. It's fine. You know, <laughs> you're still getting them, here, here. You know? and it's, it's like, we're, we're trying to get like the best microphone off Amazon and then get like the best editing equipment. It's like, no, the person out there who wants to hear your message just wants to hear your message. Okay. So just find a good microphone, find a good editing software and put it out in the world, you know? And and so really when it comes to, comes to that, so B plus work and also really realizing that perfectionism has nothing to do with you, right? Perfectionism is about us proving to other people that we are worthy, that we are enough, that we belong in the spaces we're in. And so really, again, perfectionism, it's not your barometer. It's not your measuring stick. It's you trying to live up to someone else's measuring stick. And it's often people who don't really serve us either. Like a lot of the times I ask, I'm like, who is this person? A lot of the times we don't even know who that person is. And if we do know that person, we don't really like them either. And so it's really about keeping the focus on the people that you do want to be in community with and keeping the focus on the work you want to be doing. And then finding that intersection of, okay, how do I make that happen? Knowing that I want to have this much amount of time with my partner, knowing that I still want to go for like walks in the afternoon. How can I do the work that makes me come alive and have that space for fun and joy? And that really means letting go of perfect. Mm -hmm. Totally. I love the B plus. I've, I've kind of said something similar before and I would, I'll tell you like having a child, nothing makes you more B plus than having a child. <laughs> like, there's no A plus work around here anymore at all on any level in anything. <laughs> it is all, it is like at the most B plus. Sometimes we settle with D and that's fine. That's fine. It's passable. Everyone's alive at the end of the day. Exactly. We're, We're not failing. We're okay. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Where can people find more of you, Sharon? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Wholehearted Coaching. Uh, I also have my own podcast called Wholehearted Coaching, the podcast, and my website, wholehearted-coaching.com. Perfect. I'll link to all of those in the show notes. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Summer. Thanks so much. Rock on. Thank you so much for listening to this one. You can find all the links and resources mentioned at summerinandin.com forward slash 173 because this is episode 173. I hope you took away so much from this episode. I sure did. And I'm sure you can see now why I'm such a big fan and just, uh, yeah, Sharon's just one of those people that you're like, I want to have that person in my life. Very positive energy, very optimistic, and um, has the ability to kind of see things in a way that makes you feel hopeful and positive for the future and things to come. So I hope you enjoyed it. And let me know. Send me a DM. DM. Talk to me. All right. I will talk to you next time. Rock on. I'm Summer Inanin, and I want to thank you for listening today. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Summer Inanin. If you haven't yet, 
Go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show. I would be so grateful. Until next time, rock on. Rock on.